by the Game Reviews Game On Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that masquerades as half-assed episodes as spin-off specials. I'm your inexorable host, Sinan Kubba, staff writer and associate editor for the Game Reviews, and as always I'm joined by the man who puts the wind into Wind Waker, TGR's preview director, Joseph Delia. Yep, that Big Red Potion's Joe has taken on a new role at TGR, and how's it been treating you this week? Uh, it's been great, actually. I, I kind of like it a lot. It's, it's kind of weird at first to edit other people's stuff, because it feels like I'm spray painting over someone else's poster in the subway but um it's it, once you get used to it it's pretty fun okay so let's get on to the show and this week we're very happy to provide you with two returning guests somehow on scarred by their previous big red potion experience uh which is good so first up it's tgr staff writer jeffrey matleff who is a purveyor of the classic handlebar mustache as anyone who on his twitter feed will know and uh he's back from show two and we're very happy to see him again so jeffrey how are you doing this week uh, I'm doing very well. Glad to be back. Um, look forward to discussing handheld gaming. Yes. Uh, so Jeffrey is surreptitiously revealed <laughs> on topic, so that's fine. Uh, second, our second. Well, was that supposed week, to be a secret? My, well, my yeah. You know, it's the big reveal at the end of the at the guest introduction. We work we work around it, but that's fine. Oh, that's you broke fine. the code. You broke the code. <laughs> mm. Also, Bruce Willis is dead. <sighs> anyway. So our second guest this week is Gary, uh, otherwise known as Zan, purveyor of the real ale, as he let us know last time, and uh, he's better known to the web folk as Zan Tyriad, and uh, as the host of the Ninja Fat Pigeons podcast. So Zan, how's it going? Well, too bad. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's great to be back again. Uh, I Excellent. really enjoyed the uh, previous shows that I've listened to, and uh, I like the new format you're doing now with the, with the two hosts sharing the load, as it were. Oh, thank you. Well, we were a bit worried it was going to come across as us not having tried really hard, which it wasn't. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, uh, we, we enjoyed doing that and we'll try to do more of that in the future. But um, what I was going to say, Zan, is that this is actually not your uh, only podcast you've recorded today, is it? No, no, I recorded uh, the Ninja Fat Pigeons have a monthly podcast, which is just really, we do it as a bit of fun just for our own little communities. We don't really... We're not really bothered if people listen to it or not, but uh, yeah, it, it just happened to fall on the same day, and uh, I didn't want to let the guys down. So uh, yeah, we did we did do one earlier today. It was a, it was a, it was a laugh actually. It was quite good. So hopefully, if uh, anyone fancies listening to it, they can do in the in the coming days. Excellent. Well, he, what Zan hasn't actually uh, divulged is that he actually edited it as well <laughs> after did, yeah. recording it. <laughs> so I, I then, quite yeah. pride myself on it taking 20 minutes to edit. That's how okay. that's how that's how good quality the podcast is you know <laughs> and yet it comes out better than me when i spend four hours on mine so what can i say any case uh zan jeffrey fantastic to have you back on the show um so this week we're going to dissect, dissect the world of handheld gaming sometimes known as gaming's bigger little brother and i say that because traditionally from a critical and i guess even from a community standpoint it's been looked down upon because of the inferior processing power and graphical capabilities of handheld consoles however the numbers don't tell a lie the combined DS figures are around the 100 million mark for units sold, making it by far the world's most popular current generation console, and one of the most successful consoles ever made. Even the PSP sold a respectable 50 million units, and the new challenger known as the iPhone continues to stake its place as a gaming platform. So, handheld gaming is firmly in the limelight, so much so that we decided to actually split this episode into two segments to try and deal with all of it. In the first segment, we're going to be talking about the individual consoles, the DS, PSP, and iPhone one by one, considering the status and significance and futures of each one. And in the second segment, we're going to be taking a more general look at handheld gaming, looking at its identity, its appeal, the relationship it has with the press and the community, and a whole host of other wonderful things. 
So, before everyone gets bored of my rambling and switches on some Henry Hatsworth while they listen, let's get this party started and talk about the PSP. So, first off, who here actually owns one? Because I certainly don't. Uh, Zan, I know you do. I've had a couple of them, I'm afraid, yes. A couple of them? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Joe, I think you own one? Yes, I got it on uh, lunch day, actually. And I think, Jeffrey, you're like me and you don't actually own one. Oh, that is correct. Right. Um... So I guess I'll get things kicked off with my own reluctance to get a PSP. And uh, for me, uh, I've just not not one of the games has really wowed me enough to make me consider it a, worth the purchase. The only one that got close was Patapon. So I guess for me, it's library has been the main reason I didn't get one. Do you guys, to the, to the two guys who own it, Joe and Zan, how do you how do you guys feel about the console? Are you happy with the fact that you bought it, or has it been a bit of a disappointment for both of you? Yeah, I, I got mine on launch day as well. Um, obviously, probably a couple of months after its US launch. But um, I, it's one of those things where it's gone through peaks and troughs, um, in my view. And sometimes I really get into it, and other times I find it just sitting on the shelf for weeks and weeks on end. And I think that's really largely due, due to the intermittent software cycle it's had, where occasionally it has these peaks where you get two or three really good games come out, like last year we had um, God of War and Patapon and uh, a few others, and then you have these long periods where you get very little. Uh, so you tend to find you get into it with a couple of games, and then I'm back on the DS, or whatever else I'm playing at that moment, and it sits on the shelf for another six months or so. Yeah, honestly, Zan nailed it. Um, I mean, there's just such a long gap between big releases on the damn thing, and, and unlike the DS, which has these tiny but enjoyable games that come out every few months that keep you busy for a while. The PSP really doesn't have that. They only have the big, big, big titles that come out once every year and a half. And everything else that comes out on the system is usually a port of a PS2 game that doesn't really fit on the handheld to begin with or something that most people don't really care about. So, um, as Zan said, yeah, the, the DS has been getting most of my time while the PSP collects dust. Right. And how about you, Jeffrey? What's your reason for not getting a PSP? Um, fairly similar to yours. There aren't that many games that interest me, and it's a topic we'll probably broach on later, but I just feel like most PSP games feel like watered-down PS2 games. They kind of have the same similar design, and they're just not as good, whereas the DS, I feel like I'm getting something that I couldn't get on a Wii or the GameCube or Game Boy Advance, so that's sort of my reason. I mean, it's interesting to bring up, because when the PSP... The, you know, the first details of it came across, uh, came out and the pictures came out and all the trailers. It looked for all it's worth, and it still is really, like, you know, it was producing a PS2 experience in a handheld console, which, when I first saw it, that really excited me. Why, when we were so excited as, you know, community, as a press about the PSP in the first place, why has it not really had the success it maybe merits? I, th- I think, funny enough, this is pretty similar to the conversation we had on the last time I was on your, your show. Is It suffered from... Um, a lack of strategy, I think, from Sony as to what they wanted the PSP to be. So at its launch, I mean, when you look at a PSP and you see it up, see it running, it's it's a thing of beauty. It looks absolutely fantastic, and it had so much potential. But I think, over, certainly in the beginning, Sony had these mixed messages about what it was supposed to be, and they wanted it to be this kind of multimedia device for you know movies and music and pictures. They made it so hard to use that nobody actually wanted to use it for those things. And since then, they've thrown other things at it like Skype and uh, cameras, GPS systems, all these other things. And they, I don't know, they always seem to be 
missing the mark as to what it's really about. And I think fundamentally the, the main problem it's had is the fact that when people have picked one up and tried it, although it looks amazing, it doesn't feel amazing when you use it. And unless you've got particular games that suit it, um, as, as Joe was saying, a lot of them just feel like cheap ports from the PS2. Unless you've got a game that really does feel like it suits it, like Loco Roco or, um, or even Patapon, um, it, it just doesn't feel good when, when you play with it. And, and it's, there's control issues, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with, the, the fact that you don't really have... You know, the, for these games that are in 3D, you don't really have two sticks, so you can't have camera control, and the shoulder buttons are badly placed. And there's all these other kinds of issues with it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, you nailed it again. I think Sony, uh, again, they, they've taken such a broad approach with the PSP. They've said, oh, you can do anything you want with this machine. It's the ultimate machine. But they never focused in one specific area to make it good. I mean, like, the DS focuses on games. That's the primary focus. It always has been of the DS, and it succeeded in that area. But the, the Sony, they promised a lot over the years. I mean, they, they promised Gran Turismo PSP how many years ago now? What, five years ago they said it was coming out? And it, they haven't even shown it off since before the system hit shelves. And they've spent so much time on all these other aspects of the system that people aren't really going to use, like the camera, like the GPS locator, like the, the translation software that's over, out over in Europe, that they haven't focused on the thing that's the most important, which would be, of course, the games. And had they actually stopped promising things and focused in one specific area, there might be more software out there that people want. I'm curious, either of you who own PSPs, did either of you ever watch movies on that thing? The uh, first month that I had it. Yeah, I've, I've watched a few. I've, I've actually tended to buy TV shows. So I've got, I've got um, I don't know if you guys know, I've got 40 Towers. So I've got all of those, and I've got all of The Office, which is, a, the, the, you know, the, uh, you guys do have that. So I tend to find it's quite good for, the UMDs were quite good for TV shows, but for me, they never worked with movies. Um, when I first got it, I also used to, um, use some free software called PSPware, which would I could take a DVD and strip it down and stick it on the PSP and actually watch the DVD on the on the PSP. Um, not pirated, of course, because I had the original. Um, but uh, I don't tend to use it for that anymore because I've got an iPhone. Uh, that's just I was curious, just because it's such a small screen and you can't really get a good cinema, cinematic experience with that. I mean, I, with TV, I could see it working a bit better, but I don't think people really want to watch things when they're on the go because they're usually not traveling for very long periods periods at a time, unless they're going on maybe a plane trip or something. I think that handheld gaming is kind of meant to be played in, you know, these 10, 15-minute chunks, and PSP wasn't really designed for that so much, except for maybe the happy accident of its battery life, so you have to play it in small chunks. <laughs> right. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree uh, that people don't want to watch things on the move. Like, you know, a lot of the iPod successes come through the fact that you can download TV shows and uh, movies for it um, of recent and I certainly watch stuff on my iPod when I'm on the move but I, I think there are other reasons which I'm sure uh, we could go into for why the UMD failed to catch on what, what is it what's the major reason for you Bin Joe I mean well if you look at the DS the cartridges are so damn small you could carry 15 of them in a little pouch with you as you go anywhere and you're good the UMDs are pretty huge I mean they're almost the size of the old school Game Boy cartridges you know from 1989 and they they scratch up easily. One of mine, the case broke in half, even though I take care of my games immaculately. It's still broken half, and I have to snap it back into place every time I want to stick it in the damn thing. People obviously want to play PSP games on a memory stick. They've been doing it for four or five years now, and had Sony embraced that earlier on, I think the PSP would be more of a force than it is today. 
because to be totally honest, I mean, people are buying PSPs by droves in the United States, and they're doing it just to pirate stuff. On a kind of similar thing, I think something you alluded to um, is that uh, you mentioned that um, uh, people do tend to use the, the PSPs for watching uh, movies. Um, just to explain something, I actually spend five hours a day on a train uh, commuting to work. I have a two and a half hour journey each way. And um, a phenomenon I've seen is that sort of two or three years ago, I used to see a lot of people with PSPs sitting there watching movies. So whether they bought the UMD or whether they'd ripped a DVD and are watching it on it. And I've noticed certainly over the last sort of 12 months that less and less people are actually using PSPs and more and more people are using iPhones and, and iPod touches. So I, I do think there's some truth to, to, to what you said there about the, um, about the two form, about the um, people still wanting to watch movies on a small device they can carry in their pocket. Well, yeah. Apple made it so easy with the store. I mean, you can literally go onto iTunes, and in five seconds, you've got the movie or TV show that you want. Yeah. Whereas with Sony, you have to either go to a store and buy the media, or you have to illegally rip it yourself, which some people can't figure out, or it's it's more time-consuming than you just sign to some type of service. If they had really embraced like the PSN store on the PSP a few years ago, things might be different. Def- definitely the, the iPhone iTouch solution is more elegant and it's much easier for people to use. That was always the, the barrier, I thought, with the PSP originally, was that it didn't actually come with any software for you to put any... Um, you know, they, they bragged about you could put movies and photos and everything on it, but it never came with any software to do that. And you had to rely on third parties to provide it. And, of course, as soon as you start doing that, that's then a gateway to pirates because or piracy because when you start looking for innocent tools that legitimately put things on your PSP... Searching on Google, you'll find illegitimate tools for putting all kinds of crazy things on your PSP. So uh, that was a massive mistake they made. I, I totally agree. I mean, there are two other factors I want to bring up with regards to UMD, and uh, it would go back to marketing again. I mean, I just feel Apple marketed the whole idea of music, uh, video, TV shows, movies on, on the iPod as so much better than Sony ever did. Um, I never, ever thought the PSP as, as a universal device, whereas the Somehow Apple have you know, cultivated the iTouch and the iPhone into being these universal devices, which I'm sure we'll get into later. And the other thing, obviously, would be the price. Because uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not totally aware. How much is a typical UMD movie still costing in this country, Zan? Um, they're really cheap now because you can't, really? find, yeah, you can't find them anywhere. Anyway, I mean, I, um, I blogged about this a little while ago. Um, I went to a game, an HMV in Bristol, because I happened to be there visiting uh, relatives. And I... I crudely measured the, the width of the aisle that was dedicated to PSP software and the width of the aisle dedicated to UMD movies. And it was something like three feet for all of the PSP stuff, and then it was about four inches for the UMD movies. So <laughs> you, you basically, unless you buy them online, you can't get them anywhere now anyway. But you can pick them up for about seven or eight quid, which is probably about 12 to $15, something like that. Wow, that's more expensive than it is here. They've actually really? dropped all the UMD movies down to five bucks here. Wow. And they're hard yeah. to find still at that. What was the cost when they first came out? 20 bucks each. Oh, 20 yeah, to it's... 25 bucks. It's, some movies were even 30, like the, the, more, the bigger movies. Yeah, it was the same here, wasn't it? They were about 20 pounds. So they're pretty expensive. Yeah, I mean, when you can get the DVD version for half the price, you're just not going to be interested, really, you know, because you only can watch it on the PSP, which is such a. A huge issue, unless you've got—I I don't know—is there some way of making it feasible uh, to watch it on your HD TV? Only now they brought out a cable when they brought out the PSP 2000. So for the first sort of three years, you couldn't do it, but now you can, which is too late because, of course, the UMD is already a, a dead format. Right. Um, of course, the big thing that's happened recently has been the, the news of the PSP 2, uh, which uh, 
according to Pocket Gamer, is going to have two thumbsticks, a sliding screen, be unveiled at E3 in June. Uh, has that stoked your interest in the PSP at all, Jeffrey? Uh, it has a little. I mean, I was never anti-PSP. I just didn't like it as much as the DS and you know, preferred to spend my money on other games. But then, you know, there's still a handful of titles I would have liked. So I'm wondering, have they announced if the uh, PSP2 is going to be backwards compatible? Uh, well, they haven't announced anything officially yet, as far as I'm right, aware. They announced there will be an announcement, is how it works. I think right. it was a, 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 ver- a, a very trusted rumor, as, as far as it's got so far. I don't know if anyone can correct me on that. but um... They're not denying it, are they? Every time they get. I know that uh, Giant Bomb a couple of weeks ago, I think it might have been at GDC, they asked them the question directly, and they just said, we've got nothing to announce, which, you know. It's not a denial. If they weren't releasing one, then they would deny it, I think, because then it, was, it wouldn't... Well, certainly Sony would. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, well, it doesn't help them to have rumours, does it? Because if, if, you know, let's take Jeffrey, for example, if he was going to buy a PSP, what does he, if he thinks there's a new one coming out in June, there's no way he's going to go down the store and pick one up tomorrow. So um, it doesn't, it's not in their interest for there to be uh, an incorrect rumour. So I think, I think there's some truth to it. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's certainly stoked my interest. Do you think uh, the changes they're making to the PSP2, is that going to make a significant difference? Well, I, I, to be honest with you, the two control sticks will make a massive difference for me because I, I find most of the the games that require camera control almost impossible. Um, I think the last one I tried was the uh, the Force Unleashed, which I, I, I know a lot of people can play it, but I find it unplayable using the four face buttons to move the camera. It's it's like going back to pre-N64 days. You know, it's, it seems crazy to me. Um, so it would make a massive difference for me. Because at the moment, I mainly use the PSP for games that I know work with the thumbstick. And they tend to be driving games. So um, the one I'm looking forward to that is coming out soon is MotorStorm, the um, PSP version of that, which is going to laughably is going to beat Gran Turismo. Um, so <laughs> I, I can see MotorStorm actually becoming the uh, the de facto racing game for, for Sony. I think uh, Gran Turismo's gone. Lost its lost its impact, but uh, yeah, I, I would definitely be interested in getting one. The thing is, it's definitely going to split the market quite a bit. I mean, obviously, I would love to have a second thumbstick to play the games as they were meant to be played, but it's also a fact that you know, I've I mean, a lot of people have supported Sony since the beginning with this thing. They bought the system right away. They were all excited about it, and they've been let down for a couple of years as they've released a lot of software that doesn't really fit the platform. And now that there's finally going to be a way to play these games correctly. We have to go out and spend another God knows how much money on it. Uh, I think it's, um, I mean, it's it's a better move for the platform, but as far as just sticking it to the fan base, I think it's it's pretty pretty crappy move. My concern about the the PSP two is, you know, the the two analog sticks will be a godsend. I think that just kind of broke the earlier system or made it feel, you know, more watered down. But even with a better control scheme, I'm still a little concerned that that they're still going to be designing a watered-down console experience, especially if they focus on 3D games, because that's one of my f- favorite things about the, the DS that we'll get to in a minute, but that really focused on, on 2D games and games that didn't feel like console games. So I think that they have to, you know, more than just being, you know, controlling better, actually have to be designed in a, a specific way or, you know, designed differently than a console experience. And it, this could be good, though, because I think that the... PS2 is basically dead at this point, except that Atlas keeps keeps releasing a, another brilliant RPG once every year, and then it breathes some new life into it. So I think that there might be a market that it could it could kind of take off where the PS2 left off, but I don't want them to compete with the 360 and the PS3, 
I guess they have to the kill zone on a PS on a PSP, but was it was it that good though? Well, Killzone, they adapted it to the platform. They did a smart thing with Killzone. They made it a top-down shooter instead of a first-person game, and it actually plays pretty well on the PSP. But a game like Resistance, the new one that just came out a few weeks ago, like that game, I mean, they have a mode where you can plug it into your PS3 and use your DualShock with it, and they said that increases the playability like 200%. I mean, that's <laughs> so obviously a, game... a PS3 game. <laughs> right, exactly. That's obviously a game that wasn't meant for a PSP in the first place, and they shoehorned it in, and... It just it ruins the whole point of having this PSP. Right, I'm wondering where the, the, the graphical level is going to be with the PSP2, because it's obviously going to be ahead of the PS2 now, uh, which the PSP wasn't quite. But it's not going to be that far off the PS3. I mean, I don't know. It's, it is interesting to think that it could just be watered-down versions of PS3 games this time, which uh, I don't know. I don't know that necessarily appeals to me either. Well, I do hope not. I think I'll be the worst thing that could could possibly happen. Um, there seems to be this thing with the with the, P, the PSP has got where um, you know when a game comes out, you're faced with the dilemma of do you buy the the big big boy console version or do you buy the the PSP take on the train version? And to me, that decision is a no-brainer. I'm always going to go with the big boy console version. Uh, I think you're absolutely. I think you know uh, Joe and Jeffrey are absolutely right in that. Um, the, the game needs to suit the platform, and my worry would be if they up the graphical power of the PSP2, then that's going to come at the cost of battery life. And as it is, the battery life on it is only really borderline acceptable. So to increase the graphical power even further is going to mean more heat, more battery usage, and I, I just really can't see it work. I don't think they need to. If anything, I'd rather they degraded the graphics slightly and improved the, 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 um, the battery life. That kind of interestingly brings us on to the... Third, uh, second console, which we're going to be talking about, which is the iPhone, which uh, I know Zan is the only one here who actually owns one. Oh, so, wow. yeah, uh, so all questions to you, really. But <laughs> and, uh, and on that note, the first one, which is probably the most definitive and important, is it really a gaming platform? It's becoming one, I would say. Oh, that's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, it? It is, yeah, I would say, to firm that up, today it is a gaming platform almost certainly and again it's because they're starting to get through trying to get some games that are actually developed for it which feel unique and at home on the iphone um a good example um some of you may have seen on on um on certainly on my twitter feed and some others that a lot of people with iphones have got really into things like uh, word foo and flight control which are very simplistic games that are perfectly suited to to the actual uh unit itself because they they're not complicated they obviously make good use of the touchscreen, and more importantly, they are not really flashy with the graphics, so they don't eat into the battery life, which is a real problem on the iPhone. Um, so it's probably the easiest way to describe it to someone who doesn't own one or doesn't use it. It's a bit like the Xbox 360's Xbox Live Arcade was around about a year after launch. That's the kind of level of maturity it's reached so far. Which is pretty impressive, to be, to be frank about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the only real problem is trying to wage your way through all the tripe that's on there because obviously Apple don't put any kind of quality control on it other than making sure the applications don't crash. So you do tend to find there are lots of pretty bad games or, or, or lots of you know slightly dodgy rip-offs in, in fact but there are some real quality games coming through and, and even from some of the major studios like EA um, a good example, the EA version of Monopoly on the iPhone was infinitely better than the version of Monopoly they released on the Wii and the the PS3 and the Xbox 360, uh, even included online play, which, funny enough, those ones didn't. You know, so there is 
you know, the investment is starting to trickle through, and you are seeing some really good quality titles, both from the indies and from the studios as well. Yeah, I mean, just to back up that that thought of developers, you know, starting to get behind the iPhone, there was a recent um, GamesBeat 2009 conference that was in San Francisco, and one of the uh, attendees was uh, NG Moko's chief executive, Neil Young. And he was saying that he, for him, out of the three handheld consoles, it's the best one to develop for, and you can produce the best games on it. And in fact, the attendees of that conference identified it as the most promising handheld platform. So, and you know, you listen to things like One Up Yours, and they're almost every week talking about iPhone games, and you know, talking at length about them. So, certain parts of the media are accepting the iPhone. Uh, then there are people like me, Joe, and Jeffrey who don't actually own one, and uh, you know are, are less, are a bit more reticent to accept it. How do you guys, as people who don't own the iPhone, feel about it? Do you consider I it a gaming one. platform? You want one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I never really took it that seriously until until recently, but you know I already have a phone, so if I were would get one, it would be just as a gaming platform. I'd have to switch plans. I'm not sure if my current plan could use an iPhone or not. I haven't quite researched it that much. But since I'd really only be wanting it for games, it's pretty expensive just for that. And that's kind of the reason I've I've held off. You know, I could get a PSP for that for that. But I really like the the concept of it that that there's a a varying degree of how expensive games are. They're almost all very cheap. Somewhere between one dollar and like eight dollars at you know the high end and i think that's really cool and there's a lot of i think because it's so easy to get things on there there's a lot of creativity kind of like xbox community games and i think we're just starting to see that but i think that in the next you know year or two we're going to see some really brilliant games that you can't get on other systems or maybe they'll make a a 30 dollar version you can get on the the ds like like cran physics for example which i haven't played but i really like to and isn't the, the iPhone version pretty much the exact same game, but much cheaper? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, I've got it. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Obviously, it's uh, slightly harder because you've got a big fat finger drawing the lines, but uh, yeah, it's basically identical. So the definitive version of Cran Physics is cheaper and on the iPhone. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, I think that it's uh, it's got a big future ahead of it. It's also just interesting that it's getting so many people who aren't really gamers into games because a lot of these iphone games i never i never took them seriously you don't see reviews when you go to to one up or you know whatever but i think that we're going to start seeing that and it's just hard because there's so many games out there that only the very biggest ones like the metal gear solid iphone game ever get a review but uh, i think that's going to change next year i think we're going to start seeing every main gaming side out there having you know the iPhone game of the month or game of the week or a handful of games a month and really bring it into the public eye. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, a year ago, I really could have cared less about it, but after seeing what they've done in this time, it's almost that I have to get one just to keep up with the game market that's evolving on this this platform that, you know, I never even thought could make it. But, um, uh, I mean, the stuff like, uh, as Sadan said, the uh, NG Moco stuff looks great. I mean, I want to play Rolando. I want to play all their stuff, actually. It all looks really cool. And um, it's all different stuff that you can't really get elsewhere. And the unique controls seem to be confusing some developers, but other developers seem to be running away with it and delivering stuff that you you, know, you can't get on any other platform. I think that's it's great that it's evolving so quickly. The only concern I have is that 
after a year, the marketplace is already so overloaded with games that it's kind of hard for certain titles to really break out and, and be successful. Um, do you guys think that like a year or two from now, when that service is really overloaded, that it's going to be almost impossible to find something good on there? Or, I mean, it's not like they're uh, PS3, Xbox, there's one game that comes out every week and you can pretty much easily see if what it's good or not. I mean, with this thing, you kind of have to rely on the media or friends who have played them to know if something's good because it's impossible to find something on your own. Um, I'll be honest with you, I tend to... Well, there's, um, there is a very good UK site which does try to review most of the games that come out, uh, pocketgamer.co.uk, which has grown astronomically, really, over the past year because of that. I mean, they do DS, PSP as well, but they've... The, I think that you, you, if you go and look at it, you'll see that the site has, has expanded a huge amount because of that, because there was this vacuum. But I, I'll be honest with you, most of the games that I've picked up have been on the grapevine or through listening to people like John Davison you know, on, on 1UP and what they play, who's a, who's a big advocate of, of iPhone gaming. Also, also iPod Touch gaming, of course, so you can play in, on both. Um, yeah, so it's really through the grapevine. I have read that um, Apple are working on making changes to the the App Store on, on iTunes and also on the phone itself to make it easier for you to identify those games that are the best or the award winners. They're talking about introducing another... Because they've already got the kind of five-star system that you have on music and podcasts, but they're, they're talking about introducing a, a further system to, to make it easier for you to filter. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's the kind of thing that will just come with time and it will eventually get better and better. I mean, the one thing I wanted to come back to is what Joe said about some developers are, you know, having... Uh, success with developing for the system and some developers finding it very difficult. It's interesting to see that some of the major developers are the ones having the problems, whereas some of the smaller developers are doing more interesting things. So you've got Crayon Physics Deluxe, which you know is essentially built for that, for the iPhone really, with its touch controls. Then you've got Metal Gear Solid Touch, which from what I've read and uh, heard, it's not particularly impressive. Yeah, definitely. The smaller and more simplistic the game, the better it tends to suit the the actual device itself. Um, I'm actually just going to quickly flick over on my phone here just to tell you what I've got on mine. Because, I mean, oh, obviously... God, it's just like one-up yours, honestly. It is, it is. <laughs> so I don't tend to carry them all up. I don't tend to load them all on there because, obviously, you, you're left with nothing on there. But one of the successes early on was a game called Tap Tap Revenge, which was uh, a bit like Frequency. And that's since spawned, like, a sequel and a, 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 a kind of dance version of it as well, which is, that sold huge numbers. Um, and it's again, it's a really good game, specifically designed for the screen and, and the way that it operates. Um, but there have been a lot of kind of indie games, like uh, like the two I mentioned, Flight Control and Wordful, are quite recent ones. I know that Wordful, you can actually post your score directly to Twitter, which is a that's a really neat feature. The kind of integration of social into the the same device, and you tend to find that with quite a few of the games that they tend to link in with other social networking systems you know so uh, you can post high scores on facebook or you can um, visit a website and see league tables and things like that so so yeah they, they you do tend to find the indies are the ones that are doing the the real cutting edge things um, but they tend to be simple ideas um, whereas the the major studios seem to have with the exception of board games which seem to work really well they don't seem to work too good i mean i know gameloft you know the guys who do a lot of mobile phone games yeah, they've yeah. they've ported a lot of those to the iphone and some of them work and some of them don't um, for example, one I tried last week was one called Let's Golf, which is a bit like everybody's golf, a bit of a rip-off, and it, it just doesn't work. You know, it, it looks gorgeous, 
and as you'd expect, you know, you've got to flick your finger to swing and you've got to set your choose your club by scrolling through them with your finger. But the problem with it is it's using so much of the graphical power of the iPhone that 10 minutes on that will drain half the battery. So you tend to find the indie games more successful, not only because they're easier to play, but also they suit the platform. They're not, they're not trying to do something or try to overburden the platform in terms of the processing. Hmm. Um, just, just a quick thing. I, have, I did download the SDK a couple of weeks ago, the um, actual development kit for it. And I, I mean, I, I am a software engineer, so I, I can write a little bit. I don't think I could write a game on my own. <laughs> I could write something simplistic, but I was just having to play with the SDK, and it is so easy to use. Uh, you can right. download the current SDK for free, and literally, if you had, if you had the time, you could probably knock up a fairly decent but simplistic game in in a week or so. You know, if you really knew what you were doing, it, it's so easy to use. Uh, one of the things you alluded to was um, the convergence to iPhone is producing. You know, you mentioned that you can tie things in with social networking sites like Facebook and MySpace and so on, and it kind of reminds me of what the PSP was trying to do with UMDs, but obviously that convergence f- failed for it. Is are Apple in the position to make iPhone, the iPhone, the universal handheld device? It, and by that, do I, I kind of what I'm saying is, does it have enough of a weight and power in the market now to actually be a serious competitor, even for the DS? Well, Zan brought up an interesting point about battery life, which is something that I never really considered because I'll admit most of the, uh, maybe not most, but a lot of handheld gaming that I've done at least recently. I've done from home with it plugged in. Uh, so it's been a little while since I've had to worry about it running out of battery life. And I think that it's going to split the market a bit because you're going to get a lot of games like WordFoo on, on the iPhone and people who really like that sort of thing. But if you want you know, a, a slightly more you know, quote-unquote hardcore experience, you're still going to want a, a DS or a PSP or something of that nature. So... I think that people, we're going to get a kind of a third tier of gamers. There's, you know, really hardcore gamers who buy, buy consoles, buy a couple consoles, or, or like me, have all three of the, the current gen ones. And then there are, you know, casual gamers who may own a DS and maybe like a PS2 or something. And then we're going to get people who aren't really into games but own an iPhone and will just play those. As far as hardcore gamers buying a PS, excuse me, an iPhone just to keep up, I don't know that it's ever really going to reach that point unless there are, you know, really hardcore gaming enthusiasts like Joe and I who, you know, really do want to keep up with the market. Well, I mean, the way I think of it is, is that it kind of almost compares to the way the PS2 got into people's households. A lot of people bought it for a DVD player early going, especially in Japan, where it was like almost all for a DVD playing ability because it was the cheapest one at the time. And meanwhile, they're loading up everyone's households with this system that also plays games, so people started to pick up games for it. And it really got a lot of steam in the early going just based around the fact that it played DVDs. And I think that's kind of what the way it's going with the iPhone is that a lot of people are just going to buy it because it's a rad phone that has a lot of cool features and while they have it, I might as well pick up some games. I mean, they're cheap. They're two bucks. That's the best thing that Apple ever did is, is make the games very low priced and, and set a certain limit that they can't cross, even though, I mean, they, they can now with the whole DLC thing. But over time, it's going to become a force. I don't think it will ever directly compete with the, the uh, PSP and the DS or whatever future consoles come out. But I do think that um, because it's, it's kind of a different thing, it's almost like Nintendo has, says they don't compete with the PS3 and 360 because they're not in the same type of games that 
that they are. But um, I think that a, a lot of people's time will be spent on the iPhone over their PSP and DS uh, in the future, and, and that's not going to change. And um, the only thing that really limits the iPhone, though, is the the controls. I mean, you, the developers are still trying to put out games like Mega Man 2, which came out last week on the iPhone for some reason whatsoever. Um, I think that there are rumors that Apple's going to put out some type of plug-in controller that you can use to use actual buttons on the damn thing, and I think that would be a really smart move. But other than that, the future is really bright for that that thing. Where, just to tell you the power of the iPhone, just how compelling and easy it is, I could be, and this has happened many times, I could be listening to a podcast like One Up, um, or sorry, Listen Up as it's now called, and they might talk about a game. And a good example is actually uh, WordFu. That's where I first heard of that game, and, and John Davidson was talking about it on there. And I can be listening to the podcast... And I can go and buy that game, download it and play it within about 20 seconds of him talking about it. Now, you, there is no other system out there where you can actually do that. Even on the Xbox 360 or the PlayStation 3, um, chances are if you listen to a podcast, you're doing something else anyways. You've got to quit the game, go into the, go into the store, go and find... On the, on the iPhone, it can literally only take 20 seconds. I click on one button, I type in the word, I press, the, press one more button, I press the third button and it's there, and it will literally download in seconds because most of the games are only sort of eight ten meg. So and of course you could be outside and doing it. On I'm, well, I'm normally doing this on the train on three G or, or even on two two point five G. It will still download them. So it, it, that's really scary for the opposition because it is so because it, people are using it for listening to podcasts and to take for taking in other types of social networking like Twitter. Again, I use I'm a Twitter's like crack for me. I'm addicted to Twitter. <laughs> and it's because it's on my phone. It's on my iPhone. I can press a button. Someone can post a, a link on Twitter to a, a, an iTunes, a, a game on iTunes. I can click one button and I've got it. You know, it's that easy. You know, 59p for flight control, done. That was there in, in 20 seconds. And that's where the others are going to struggle to keep up because the, the, the advantage that Apple has is they control the hardware, they control the distribution method, and they also control a very sophisticated infrastructure, whereas the other two don't. Sony's got a proven poor track record with infrastructure, and Nintendo have got no track, track record with that sort of infrastructure, really, other than the, the current, the current uh, WiiWare virtual console. So they are coming from a position quite a long way behind what Apple is trying to do now. And I, I think I, I'm with Zan, really, actually. I, I think that it's easy to underestimate what the iPhone is going to do, and for me, what the way I think about it, which is kind of interesting, when I decide to replace my iPod and my phone, I'm going to get an iPhone. And I don't think I'll get a PSP2 if I have the choice of only getting one of those two. I, I, I will put the iPhone above the PSP2. So maybe maybe it's not going to compete with the DS, but I think that Sony will be looking over their shoulder with the PSP, because the PSP2 is by no means a certified success. Um, so that's my view. We'll see what happens. I, I don't claim to know anything about this really. Um, but one thing that I do know about is the DS and its incredible success. And I I must say I cannot believe how successful it's been. Did you guys, when it when it was first announced, think that it could any in any possible way get to the point where it sold 100 million units worldwide? No. I... <laughs> I remember when it was first announced, everyone thought it just looked ridiculous. And I have to admit, I was part of that camp. I mean, I was fine with, with the Game Boy, you know, the GBA. Um, it just 
it looked silly. It had you know the two screens, the the touch screen. There were, there was really no good software for almost this first year. I mean, the best launch gamer I can't even recall if it was a launch gamer. It's an early title, but uh, Mario sixty four, and even that was just you know a decade old game with controls that didn't work as well. Granted, they added in some new bonus features to to spruce it up a little bit. So I didn't get one until about a year after it came out, as you know, right around the time that that they got Castlevania and and Mario Kart and Meteos, and there were a lot of good titles, all in like this three month span. It, it took a little while, and then they had the DS Lite, and again, I was one of those people who was like, I'm not gonna upgrade to that, you know, I'm fine with the one I have. And then once I started playing on a friend's DS Lite, I'm like, screw this, I'm trading it in, I, I'm getting a DS Lite. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to happen with, with the new one, but we'll maybe touch on that later. But no, I I didn't think it would be this successful. And I think that the reason has been is that Nintendo knows how to develop for it. They have games that could only work for that system. Um, some of them, and sometimes they, they've learned from the mistakes and have uh, realized that it, it can be a little too gimmicky to force that. I'm thinking of the, the first Castlevania on the DS, Don Asaro, how they... They made you draw stuff, and it it didn't work that well. It's actually my favorite Castlevania game for other reasons, by hair. But, you know, they realized just because we have this, we don't have to use it all the time. But for the most part, they really learned how to, to use that very successfully. Much like the Wii is done right now. I, I Well, let me put it this way. With the Wii is done right now, and with its motion controls over graphics um, decision... The DS has done the same thing far more successfully. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to be slightly controversial here because I actually think both the Wii and the DS were, were successes by accident, um, not by design. Because uh, when the DS first came out, and uh, Jeffrey's absolutely right, you know, when you know the original launch one, the, it looked hideous. It came out after the PSP, and everyone was looking at it thinking, this is a joke. And I can remember I... Um, one of the launch titles we had in the UK was Nintendogs, and really that was the one that really got its got the sales running in, in the UK, mainly because people were buying them for their, their their daughters, wives, and girlfriends, and that's what I did. I bought it for my for my wife. I bought her a a, a very early one with Nintendogs for Christmas. And that did I? Uh, yeah, and I stuck with the PSP for a year, uh, and it wasn't until the the DS Lite came out that I actually went and bought one. But for the through that that whole year, we started to see. Not necessarily from Nintendo, because I think they made quite a lot of mistakes early on. Um, it wasn't until things like, uh, is it Dr. Karashima, is that how you pronounce it? And, uh, and Brain Training and, and those sort of games started to come out that they actually started to then get into the... It started to get into its stride and people started to buy it and then started using it for other things. You know, the the, the hardcore ga- gamer, the t- a term I really hate, but you know, an enthusiast gamer, would, would have picked it up earlier for the likes of, you know, Castlevania and... and, and, and Mario Brothers and stuff, but it didn't really start. I don't think taking as an innovative platform until about a year later, when some other games had come along and shown what could be done, and then it started to take off. And for me, the same thing happened with the Wii. You know, it was a. Uh, uh, I think the idea behind the Wii originally was just to have a fam to, to create this family console that was, that was accessible, and it wasn't. And it was the fact that it was so easy to sell that concept that really uh, allowed Nintendo to, to have such a strong position. Yeah, I, I, to, on, to uh, mirror what Zan just said, uh, every time I take a train or a plane or anything, there are people with DSs in every other row. Like, it, even um, and not just kids, middle-aged women, older men, like people of all ages have the system. They're playing uh, Sudoku on Brain Age, or they're playing 
you know, a simplistic, uh, I don't know, crosswords, pit cross, those titles. And I've never seen that before with a portable console. I mean, even in the Game Boy, in the height of its popularity, I never saw older people playing with Game Boys. But the DS has just gone to this level that no other system has gone to before, and it's it's amazing. Uh, my personal opinion on it was when I... I liked the Game Boy Advance. I enjoyed it, but I really never played it that much, so I wasn't too excited about this new, weird thing that Nintendo was putting out. I bought it like two months after launch for Feel the Magic, which was a Sega game, which I don't know why I wanted it so bad, but I really did. And um, it kind of sat unused for a while until Nintendo started to pump out these really crazy original titles that hadn't really been put on any other type of system before. Stuff like uh, Brain Age, stuff like Professor Layton, stuff like uh, Trace Memory and Hotel Dusk, which are these weird little adventure games. Um, of course, the core stuff like Castlevania was, you know, the best Castlevania in recent years had been on the DS. The best Contra in the last 10 years has been on the DS. And... Um, all this crazy stuff that, I mean, I use my DS. I don't really play, I don't have a train ride or anything every day when I go to work, so I only play my portable consoles when I can, but the DS is just by default the, the system that I bring, and I, I love my DS. I, I To the point where I want to get a DSi for no reason whatsoever, just because it's out. <laughs> it exists, and I want it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, most people were the opinion that the DS was going to flop when we first saw those, you know, two screens, like you've all said. What's interesting about what Zan said was about how it didn't really, you know, take a, take um, the world by storm immediately, and it's kind of it kind of makes me think of the advertising campaign, which I sort of feel is probably one of the best campaigns there is for anything. It's just relentless and so simple, but it works. You know, just celebrities, women, uh, children playing the DS, and boom, it's sold, and. What's interesting about it is I wonder which one actually came first in terms of the success, the initial success or the, the campaign. Um, I don't know. It's, I, it's when, when did the DS really start taking off? Which games were, were, were the ones that really pushed it into the, the sort of levels of the stratosphere, which is, it is now? Um, what do you think? Nintendogs. Nintendogs. I'm going to go with Mario Kart. I'd go with Mario Kart too. I would say brain training. I think that's where the, the vast majority of the, the kind of post- uh, launch sales have come from because a lot of I mean all of us here we would buy it for the likes of Mario Kart I mean I bought you know as soon as I got hold of a DS Lite the first game I bought was Mario Kart but it's when you see Joe Public and you see just how many people out there that are what you would have classed as non-gamers or casual gamers have bought it and they've all bought it for brain training you, you speak to anyone who's you know who's not a gamer and has bought a DS and asking what games have they got the first one they say is brain training or brain age um, as it was in the US so you know, that for me is the one that's really kicked it off. It just makes me think, you know, would a game like Professor Layton have caught on if it wasn't for that kind of camp? You know, that in just you wouldn't see that on PSP. The couple playing on the sofa, solving the puzzle together. You don't get that kind of advertising PSP. You just get the weird, non-identifiable, um, uh, experimental type Sony advertising. How how important do you think the advertising campaign has been for Nintendo with the DS? Uh, I think it's been hugely important. I mean, I think that's... I mean, earlier design said that Nintendo maybe been successful by accident, and their marketing campaign isn't by accident. Uh, it might be slightly different in the US, because the, the marketing for things like Nintendogs and uh, Brain Age Brain Training was very much followed very much after the game had come out here. Um, they didn't really start to market them to 
um, let me let me. What's a good way of saying this? Sort of middle-aged people, or um, I mean, the the, the advertising they used in the UK was with Nicole Kidman and Patrick Stewart, for example, right. for, for brain for brain training. Though, those adverts didn't come along until about a year after it had come out, and um, uh, at the in fact, at the time when when those games came out in the UK, they didn't have enough copies because they didn't anticipate them being very big sellers. Because they were at the time they were marketing the DS more at your more enthusiast gamer, so they were putting more money behind things like uh, Mario Kart and New Super Mario Brothers than they were around the casual games. Now, and in fact, for, during the first year, I, I don't even remember seeing a DS advert anywhere. But now it's the opposite. I mean, there's DS adverts probably I don't know, probably 20 a day on on national TV on various channels, and nearly all of them are are marketed at uh, the kind of middle of the road casual buyer. I, I would totally agree. I mean, this is what the point I was coming from was sort of the chicken and the egg argument. I think the success came first, and then they they capitalised on it. And I then I'd go to what Joe was saying with Nintendo. I think that, in a sense, was the game that really pushed it forward. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of the DSi, I know Jeffrey, you were saying you're not sure. How about you two, Joe and Zan? Are you going to get one, Joe? See, I really want one. Just because it's the the screen is what 0.5 inches bigger, and uh, I can download games, which I don't even know if I would do. But um, I'm trying to hold off on it as as much as I can, just because there's no real point to getting it. I'm not going to use the camera or the multimedia stuff that they threw in there, as I'm sure they're not that user friendly, from what I've heard. But um, I I'm probably going to end up getting one eventually. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh... Well, hold on a second. Might get the sound effect. <laughs> that, that, my friends, is a DSi. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh! Hi, DSi. Welcome. <laughs> and in fact, it has menu music. So, like the Wii, when it's on the when it's on the menu, I don't know if I could, I'll try and put it under the mic in a minute when it's when it's gone into it. But um, here we go. If you can hear that. Yeah. Ooh. Yes, yeah, so it's got soothing, lovely soothing menu music, and it has has that in the store as well. When you go in the store, it basically is like a Wii. So it has the same sort of user interface, and um, like a real, like a, a real console, it's a bit condescending, isn't it? But like a, a Big Brother console, you boot into the operating system, and everything's driven from that. And when you exit a game, it takes you straight back into the OS again. So it's none of, it's not like the old cartridge days of switching the thing off, changing the cartridge, popping it in. Uh, you were talking about the software. The most impressive thing about the DSi is the software. I mean, the, if you look at the stats, okay, it's got a bit more memory. It's got a couple of couple of cameras on it. It's a little bit bigger. Uh, it doesn't look great, but I tell you, once you've seen it running and you've seen the software, you're blown away by how much different it is. Um, and the the photo software is superb. Um, right. it's, it's it's like a real professional photo editing suite, which you can do loads of really crazy effects with. I mean, it's it's incredible what they've crammed into it. It really is. So as you can tell, I'm I'm rather impressed with it. Much more impressed than I thought I would be. I thought I was wasting my money again. You and, have me uh, opening up Amazon right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing: is that a lot of the, the reviews I read, you know, from the likes of, you know, again, the big boys like One Up and, and uh, Giant Bomb and, the, and those, they said, you know, okay, it's it's cool, and yes, if you haven't got one, it's worth getting one. But none of them seem to pick up on the fact just how good the software is on it, and just how easy it is to use. You know, the integrated DS Store and stuff is is genius. It really is. It it's it's much closer to the iPhone than than you could you would possibly think. And it's more web-enabled and integrated than the PSP is, in terms of ease of use, anyway. I think it's a very clever uh, thing they've done with this, because what they've, if they can persuade all those casual buyers out there, you know, the, the likes of Patrick Stewart, 
to upgrade to a DSi, they've then got a mechanism of distributing games to you directly very easily. Uh, and uh, I think that's just genius. Well, that's the thing that has me most interested in getting a DSi is for the, the downloadable software that you could get, the little indie games like, like the iPhone um, that I was getting at before. I'm a, I'm a little hesitant. I'm wondering how well Nintendo's going to integrate that because they haven't done so great a job with, um, with WiiWare. I mean, there, there are some good WiiWare games. I'm just saying, like, the actual user interface is a little clunky. There aren't that many indie titles. It's mostly older games they've put on the market. Um, you know, with a few exceptions, like World of Goo, which was fantastic. So if it ends up being a competitor for the iPhone, for the indie game market, I would consider getting one for that. There's a point to be made about um, the fact that not many people who own a Wii know about the fact that they can connect to the internet and they can actually get WiiWare. And the fact that if you're upgrading from a DS Lite or a DS to DSi, they're marketing the camera, they're marketing all the other new features, and they're also making a bit of a push with the DSi Wear. But it's not been quite as much as I'd expected with regards to that, the software. It, it's in the in your face when you open the box, though. And when you first switch it on, it's right in your face because it asks you to configure Wi-Fi as soon as you turn it on. So, you know, when you first boot it up and it's like asking for the language settings and everything else, it says, Do you, would you like me to connect to your local Wi-Fi hotspot now? You know, it's it's really quite in your face about, yes, I'm a connected device. Um, whereas, again, PSP doesn't really do that at the moment. Hmm. I think that could be it. that could be it then. If it, if they are really pushing with it, then you could see it stop doing what the iPhone is doing. But in terms of the DSi, the DS, and the DS Lite, that's there's a sort of segregation that's been created, and that's one of the topics we're going to come on to in our second half. Um, so before we do, let's take a short break, and we'll see you all on the other side. you enjoy that little musical interlude, the first little musical interlude of Big Red Potion. Very uh, exciting. So in the second segment, we're going to be talking about handheld gaming in a bit more of a general sense, kind of looking at a few of the issues surrounding it, like its identity, like ports for the systems, uh, segregating of the different consoles, things like that. So I think we'll start off where we were left off last time when we were talking about the DSi. And... uh, Joe, I know that you had something to say about how things like you know the DS, DS Lite, and the DSi are kind of segregating the audience. It's something that's kind of always happened in the in the handheld market uh, since the original Game Boy, where the the uh, publishers of the people that make the consoles can just re-release a new version of the console that completely renders everyone who previously owned the system, um, you know, not up to date with the current the current form and. I mean, Game Boy Color, when that came out, you could not play those games on an old Game Boy. And it was perfectly accepted. No one really argued against this. And the DSi, um, they, there was a report like two weeks ago that said that there's going to be DSi-specific cartridges coming out that are going to have new features that other, DS, uh, other DSs can't do, can't utilize. And um, they, they hinted that the new Zelda game was going to have a few features that would be exclusive to the DSi. Probably stuff that used the camera or whatever. And... Um, 
with all this talk of the PSP2 having a second analog stick, which would obviously make certain games unplayable on the old D- on the old PSPs, um, why do you think it's acceptable for this to happen on handheld market where this does not happen on the the home console market? I mean, if the PSP if the PS2 Slim, if that console had special new features and made the games look better and had certain exclusive that can only be played on a PS2 Slim, people would have gone nuts. Well, it has happened before. Um, on the N64, they brought out the memory pack uh, right, for right. Donkey Kong 64 and Perfect Dark. So it, there is some previous with this. In fact, Nintendo have got a bit of a dirty history of... I know it's kind of loosely related, but every time they bring out a new handheld device, they bring out a different sized charger for it, um, uh, uh, yeah. Power pack. Um, the DSi is no different. Again, it's got a slightly different shape to it, so you can't use any of the previous ones. So I do think there's a little bit of them doing it on purpose to try to leverage more sales uh, of pro- peripherals and also new units. Um, and you're right, it does it does stink a bit. But then, again, as 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 the enthusiast gamer, I think we feel it more. Whereas to the person, the average Joe on the street, eh, maybe maybe not. Um, you know, as long as their old games work on it, I don't think they'll have too many problems with it. Uh, well, I think for one thing, handhelds aren't as expensive, so people, you know, we may bitch and moan about having to, to shell out 170 or maybe trade in our DS, DS lights and, you know, fork over the, the difference. It's probably, you know, 80, 80, 90 bucks or whatever. So it's not as big an investment to upgrade. If they released a new 360 that, you know, had better graphics or whatever, or had, you know, some function that that you couldn't play, you know, old 360 games on, and yet, you know, spend, you know, 300 plus bucks on the new system, people would complain about that even more so, because it would be that much more of an investment. I mean, it's one thing when they make it an entire generation leap, you know, to the new, you know, the PS4 or whatever we're going to have next, if, if there even is another generation of consoles. But with... But if you're just making these subtle upgrades, I think that it's more acceptable with a cheaper system. Like a lot of people have hypothesized, people want an HD Wii for, you know, three, four hundred bucks, and I think people would be willing to do, to do that because it's it would be a big enough difference. There's also a whole kind of micro economy with the handhelds because it's not just the handheld you buy the little case to carry your handheld around in because you don't want to get it damaged. Um, one other little observation I have on the DSi, which I thought really stunk, was the fact that the, the stylus is a different shape and size, but only fractionally. It's like two millimetres sh- uh, shorter and about one millimetre fatter at one end. So that if you had anything else that held, stylus, that, you know, held the old stylus, it don't fit. And the DS Lite stylus was a different size and shape to the original DS one as well. There's no reason for them to change the stylus shape and size, but they've done it each iteration, and it's my mind. To my mind, it's to fuel the the kind of third party peripheral micro economy that goes with handheld gaming, which isn't quite such a big thing with the the big boy consoles. Okay, you might go out and buy a plastic guitar or something, but it doesn't have the same uh, level of investment in that. Would you rather them iterate? constantly on the handheld systems like they have been for the past 10 years? I mean, or, like, should the PSP2 be an entire new system? Should it be the DS to PSP1's Game Boy? Like, should should they just start over and have it be backwards compatible so you can still play your old games on it if you want, but have, you know, this 
have it be this sequel system to the PSP, or should they keep doing what like the DS keeps doing, which says, oh, well, here's just a better DS? Um, um, I, think, I think it depends on the console. I think for the PSP, I think it really needs to be a new console. It needs to be a brand new start, because if you're taking away the UMD drive, you're re- removing all that backwards compatibility anyway. Um, so I think if you're taking away UMD, sticking in two, 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 uh, two joystick nubs, then for me it's a new console. You might as well just make it completely backwards incompatible uh, and just download um, converted PSP games to it. I don't know. I think it's always exciting when companies release a new console just because, I mean, it is. Like, you can get a whole, they'll have um, more powerful hardware and you can do, you know, greater things and, as much as we hate to admit it, we are excited about graphics. So I think that on that level, we want a new one. But at the same time, there's something to be said about a, co- a console that can have a very long lifespan and people get comfortable with it. I'll put it this way. As soon as you introduce a new console, people don't want the old one anymore. You know, As soon as you have the DS, people didn't want a GBA anymore. So that really splits the market. If you just create a new iteration then you can still have people playing both. And the second-hand market can be kind of effective, too, because they release uh, the DSi, the DS Lite becomes cheap, the DS Fat is super cheap. So people who weren't really that interested in getting one before might pick one up for 50 bucks now and start playing it. And then later they'll decide they want one. That's how I got into the GBA. I got the, the cheapest GBA a couple years after it came out, once they had the SP or whatever. Yeah, I mean... I think you've both kind of nailed it. I think you look at the DS and it doesn't need to... There's no need for a DS2. And you just have to look at the sales figures with the DSi. People are fine with it. It is a new DS for people. That's how they look at it. There's a new console. It's a new DS. It's a new thing. It's exciting. Uh, the adverts are amplifying that excitement. PSP, you just couldn't. Not not again at this stage. Um, people haven't been that infused about... Well, no, they were, uh, but not like the same extent they've been with the DS ones. And clearly the PSP is in need of revitalization. I think it kind of shows a different market. So I think with the casual market, you can maybe get away with this a bit more. Um, and that's what really it is with handhelds. Well, do you think it's fair to say, I mean, I hate to rag on the PSP that much because there really are some fantastic games for it that I would love to play. But do you, I feel like maybe the issue is that the problems with the PSP are more fundamental because of the, the awkward controls. Um, it doesn't have a touchscreen, which is okay, but you know now touchscreens become standard in the other two. And those are things that you just couldn't do on the old one without you know, creating entirely new hardware. Whereas the DS and iPhone have so much wiggle room to them that they, you know, it, developers can make up for those flaws. Portal consoles have always needed to kind of carve an identity for themselves, for them to really stand out. I mean, the uh, the GBA kind of put itself out there as the Super Nintendo 2 back in the early days, where you were getting all these SNES ports that were awesome, and then eventually Nintendo started making new stuff that really tapped into that and made it a huge success. And the DS obviously has carved out its niche as this both you know casual gaming machine and this game that you know a hardcore gamer could jump into and find all these great things to play with and all these new experiences that you can't get elsewhere. And I think Sony has had a huge problem carving out an identity for its PSP. I mean, in the beginning, they said it was a movie player, a picture viewer, internet machine, uh, a games player, a games downloader, all this stuff that really was unnecessary when most, I'd say a significant chunk of the people really just wanted to play games on the damn thing. 
And in the years that followed, it, it's just been hit with so many ports and, and cheap games and all this stuff that they really haven't... Sony itself hasn't stepped in and created this identifiable brand for the PSP the same way that Nintendo did for the DS. They didn't say, this game, this type of game works great on the PSP. Here's how we will show you how to do it so that other developers can take that ball and run with it the same way Nintendo did with all the casual stuff. They, they showed them that Brain Age was the way to go with the DS, and that's what people have been doing. So, um, what do you guys think of the identity of the current the current system? Do you think that um, the PSP two should it be rebranded by Sony as a as a hardcore game player, or do you think that they just need to uh, I don't know maybe tap into more markets than they have tried to already? PSP does have an identity. I'm just not particularly fond of the identity because I identify <laughs> it with well, I identify it with watered-down PS2 games. I mean, I've heard that the God of War game is great. Most people say it's the worst of the three. And, you know, the Silent Hill game, was, I know Joe wasn't terribly fond of it for many other reasons, but I feel like that that's just something that you couldn't replicate so well, even if they made a, you know, port of Silent Hill 2 or something. It just it probably wouldn't work as well. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's kind of how I feel. So, it, it, I mean, it has the this niche as the most you know, hardcore, has as horsepower experience you can get with a, um, with a handheld. I just don't think that that's very effective to, to make it so, so similar to the consoles. Yeah, I mean, the, again, don't want to harp on too much about the PFP's failing, but when it first came out, Sony did actually push the dev kit for the PSP as the PS2 dev kit. So, they kind of encouraged both their internal development teams and third parties to go that route, to basically take PS2 games and to convert them to run on the PSP. In fact, you know, the, I can remember right at the beginning that was their their big message was that hey, you'll be able to carry, you'll have a PS2 in your pocket. You know, that was the the big selling point. And I think the problem with that is it was misguided because if a developer brings out a game that runs on both platforms then people tended to gravitate towards the, the Big Brother version because the controls were a lot easier and the type of gaming experience that it was suited the home console better. You know, uh, a good example of that are the um, Grand Theft Auto games, which, whilst they work well on the PSP, um, and, and they were fairly big sellers, um, they weren't as enjoyable to play as when they ported them to the PS2, almost lock, stock and barrel, and you could play them with a proper controller, and all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, this is this is actually really rather good. So, I think it's always been saddled with that problem, and and for me, the to, for them to move it forward, they can keep the name, but I think in many ways that the the brand PlayStation has been damaged. Certainly, in the, I, I, you guys will probably know better than I, but my impression from the US is certainly been damaged by it's kind of a, a synonymous now with being over overpriced or expensive, you know, so high tech but expensive, whereas. Um, really, I think for a, for a handheld unit, they need to be appealing to people in, in a, across a broad range of people. Certainly, if it's going to compete with the DS and iPhone, which at the moment they don't really seem to know how to do. Sure, I mean the, the the PSP really does have a lot of technologically impressive games, as you said. The, the GTA games are are really impressive to play on a handheld. But if you compare the playability of those GTA games versus Chinatown Wars, which just came out on the DS. It's like night and day. Chinatown Wars is a lot of fun to play, and it perfectly fits the platform, and, and Liberty City Stories really does not at all. It's, it's funny you mention that, because I was thinking, because I've, I've got Chinatown Wars, and it, you're right, it's, it's so good. 
and it's got some, you know, that kind of slightly isometric view. That could have worked really well on the P- on the PSP. You know, they, sure. this because of the power of the console, it's almost driven developers to think they have to make these really flashy 3D-looking games. And and in many ways, the success on the PSP has come from games that aren't pushing the boundaries of the hardware, like Patapon and Loco Roco, uh, and and their ilk. So, yeah, right. I totally agree with that. I mean, the, the the thing is, like, the people that I know that are really crazy into PSP, they just want to play games on the go. Like, they want to play games like God of War on the go, whereas most of us would rather, like, I would love to play Chains of Olympus on my PS2, on my big screen TV. Uh, there's nothing that makes me want to play this on this this tiny console that really wasn't fit to play it. And I think that's the problem. I mean, the only people that really are very into the PSP are the people that want to take this experience on the go, whereas a lot of us gamers... We really don't have a lot of time outside of the house where you know we're ready to play these types of games. I play most of my handhelds in my house. Is it is it re- was were they really misguided to push this idea of a PS2 on the go? Because the PS2 was the most successful console ever. You, it's not you, that can't be forgotten easily. Um, and you, we have talked about, about the PS2 um, in previous shows, and you know said that a lot of its success came from the casual market, which they didn't take advantage of, but. A lot of its success came from the non-casual market as well, and I was excited by the idea of a PS2 on the go. Is it just more to the fact that the console has, like Jeffrey was saying, fundamental problems with producing that experience? Um, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Um, I think in you know if if I was sat there in the uh, you know in Sony's marketing division six years ago, trying to work out how we, how you're going to pitch this device, then you would go that route because, like you said, the PS2 at the time was this kind of phenomenon and really the the PSP was launched at its peak wasn't it I I think I'm right in saying that and 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 so they were really trying to capitalize on that and I I just feel that as with all Sony stuff over recent years and again I don't really want to start bashing about this but the strategy just seems to have been the wrong the wrong strategy at the wrong time there's probably the strategy was right as far as they were concerned, but wrong as far as the market was concerned. And they could never have predicted the explosion that the DS, the Wii, and now the iPhone have have had in terms of bringing in people who aren't traditional gamers to to these platforms. I don't think they could have anticipated that. I think they they were only trying to sell it to the enthusiasts. And they thought if they could convert most PS2 owners who, excluding the kind of SingStar um, casual market, they could bring those over and they maybe entice the kind of techno wizards with all the flashy videos and stuff, then they would, they're would they on to a winner. And, but it has sold well, hasn't it? I mean, it sounds like we're, we're doing addition on it, but it's it sold well, but it's not used much. I think that's the thing for me with the PSP, is I own it, I love it. I've two, because I've got a 2000. I had a 1000 originally, which I actually gave away to another famous podcaster. Um, but for me, I, I always, whenever I pick it up, I feel guilty. I think, I want to love you. Uh, you know, I really want to love this console, <laughs> but it, I, you know, you're just frustrated that there just isn't the compelling reason to play it, and I don't really see that changing anytime soon. And um, it's going to take third-party support, I feel, to to actually change that, and maybe bringing out a new PS, PSP with different control systems and touchscreens, and that is the answer. I mean, who knows? But at, the, at this moment in time, I don't think it is. I think they're fighting against the tide. I mean, the, the counter-argument to the idea of it being able to produce this PS2 experience is that it, you can get your PS2 experience on the PS2, which is what you've all been saying. I guess that's why the DS has won the handheld wars, because you can't play Professor Layton anywhere else. You you can't get that 
idea, you know, the touchscreen, uh, the fact you can take it anywhere, that's just, it wouldn't work on PC. Well, it would, but it wouldn't be special. Um, it's special that you can do this puzzle. I can play with um, my girlfriend at her flat, take the DS with me, and that, because I, 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 Professor Layton comes to mind, I just played it recently, and I must admit, um, I completed it in like two days of solid puzzle solving, which shows how incredible that game is. Um, mm. I just think the DS has carved, like Joe has been saying, this identity for itself. So, assuming for a moment that Sony was successful at their, their dream of making a portable PS2, if the controls were better um, and it that wasn't an issue, would we want that? I mean, I think to an extent we would. I'm, I'm looking right now at my, my game collection, all my PS2 games, and it's probably my favorite system ever just in terms of its library. And I would like to play some of these games on the go, but the amount of time I would play them on the go versus the amount of time I play them at home, I'd probably be playing them much more often at home just because they're very complex games. They're games that really take a lot out out of you and they're kind of long and you really have to, to focus. You can't put them down and pick them up a couple weeks later. I'd argue with a slight customization, I would love to play the majority of my PS2 back catalogue on the go. If you could tell me I could play Resident Evil 4, Final Fantasy X, God of War 2, Shadow Colossus on the go, just as it was on my PS2, yes. Yes, yes, yes. As long as it was customised. Like you say, if you could just get the saving sorted for those games, because that's the biggest thing that comes to mind instantly. Like Final Fantasy X, if I couldn't save unless I, you know, every hour or so, then, but I would love that. I, I would absolutely love that. It sounds to me they need to make a PSP that's not got ported games but you can actually play maybe maybe download old PS2 games you know like almost like a virtual console for it uh, that sounds to me like for, for you anyway it sounds like that would be a winner yeah um, just for me <laughs> and, and, and they could overcome the issue I mean in many ways the PSP already copes with mobile gaming because you can put the PSP into a um, hibernation state so even if you are playing a game where you can, you're not at a save point you can put it in a hibernation state and it will stay in that for about 24 hours before the battery runs out, so as long as you can get it to a to a plug, um, you can keep it in the hibernation state almost indefinitely. So um, I th- that could work, but again, is that going to compete with the DS and iPhone? Probably not. To my knowledge, there's no way that you can play a PSP game on a big screen. Is there? Is there any kind of yeah cable yeah? You can get you can get component hybrids. video cable. Yeah, I tried it. Yeah, I I actually played through God of War prior to getting it I actually saw the cable in a bargain bin which is not never a good sign is it um, <laughs> I think I picked it up for about two quid and I just tried it because because it, it's component it's the it's five and it's five cables yes it's like the, X, the original Xbox one so um, it's a bit messy and fiddly because you've got to crawl around behind the TV and plug it all in and, and yeah I tried it but it, it looks good because it does it in 480p so it, it looks pretty good it looks as good as the Wii really um, but uh it's not something I'd want to do because I, I actually play all my gaming on the go. I very rarely touch my, apart from, uh, as Shona was saying, apart from Professor Layton, I I played most probably 95% of my handheld gaming on the go, uh, like like uh, Yusin and I actually uh, I played through Professor Layton in two days when I was on holiday, and that is the greatest game of last year without doubt. <laughs> It was fantastic, my top few. I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but it is interesting what you mentioned about playing where we play our handhelds because, I okay, as a, as you know, someone who writes about games, I some I think maybe I'm not the right person to answer this question because sometimes I have to play them at home just because it's work <laughs> sometimes. Um, but 
do we had a thread on on um, our forums at the game reviews talking about this where where people play their handhelds and it's really interesting to find out that most um, that it's about half and half some people play it most at home some people play it most at go and there was a survey recently I think it was the America NPR and the the survey said that most people play at home which kind of defeats the point of handheld gaming in some ways I mean where do you guys play your handhelds most uh, Jeffrey how about where, where where do you play it most. Uh, mostly at home. That used to be a little different back in my university days. I'd have to take the, the bus to school, and then you know, I'd have long gaps between classes. So do a little bit of schoolwork, take a break, and play Trauma Center for an hour or something. So so that, that used to be different. It all just kind of depends on your lifestyle and how big of a commute you have and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I remember even back then, when I would get a new game that I was excited about, you know, I'd play it on the bus in between classes, but I like it so much, I'd come home and continue playing it. So, so in that way, I, I'd lean more towards at home. Even if we can play them at home, I think that there are some unique features, some of these systems, notably the touchscreen, that make it different than a console, even if you're playing at home. The, the example that comes to my mind is, is Phantom Hourglass, how you could make notes on your map. And I thought that game was a little too easy, and they didn't quite capitalize enough, but just that idea of having sort of this virtual journal that you could, you know, prescribe your own info onto, that's really cool. And even with, you know, the Wii Pointer, you couldn't really do that as well, or if you pull the keyboard on a, you know, 360 pad, it just, it wouldn't work as well. So, yeah, I play them at home, but I think that there is some odd value to just being able to pick something up and just kind of play it from the comfort of, you know, your bed or what have you, that that does still separate it a little bit from a, a console. Well, just to, to one thing that came to mind, I think it refers to the famous podcast that Zan was referring to, and I'm, I'm thinking of Buzz Quiz on the PSP, which I, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong on this, guys, uh, Zan and Joe, but I think how it works, you pass it around the room, essentially, and people input their answer, which is you know, so you've got that kind of uh, secrecy element, which you can obviously have with a big screen. Um, so it's kind of another unique way of playing a handheld console. Um, what, what, how about you, Zan? Where do you play your handhelds most? I'm guessing on the train. <laughs> at, at the moment, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I had a job where I was on the road. Well, I had a job for about eight years where I was constantly on the road. So I used to do a lot of my sort of handheld gaming in hotels, actually, because I would, it's, they were just easier to carry. You know, I'd have my laptop and I'd chuck one console with a handful of games in and take it wherever I needed to go for a, for a week. And these days I do spend more time on the train because I'm, I'm now based in London. So, um, yeah, other places, um, um, I like to, uh, my wife and I like camping. So, uh, yeah, we tend to take our, our, the DSs then. Um, and also we travel into Central Europe quite a bit. And we tend to go by train then. So, again, uh, for example, we, we, we went by train to Munich earlier this year, which is about... Uh, well, I think about 12 hours on the train, give or take. Um, and we both took our DSs, and we are basically playing the DSs for the entire journey, you know, both cooperatively or competitively on the train or playing our own games. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I would say most of, like I said, 95% of my game is done, is done on the train, which does make Guitar Hero quite interesting with the DS. Because playing that on the train, you, I tell you, you get some funny looks. <laughs> and also, it makes you don't appreciate it, it makes quite a lot of noise. Um, I don't know if you guys have got it or have played it. I've got the, I've got one of the handheld things here. If I just click it by the mic, you hear how loud it is. Oh. And of course, people like to sleep on the train, so when I've played that on the train, 
I get some really evil stares and people tutting and yeah, so it's, you can't always do it on the train. So actually, Guitar Hero is a favourite for the small room in the house. I would never play that on the train. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> no way. How about you, Joe? Yeah, I'm, to go on along the same lines, I, I feel the same way every time the DS asked me to yell or blow into it. <laughs> I was playing uh, Ninja Gaiden on DS a few weeks ago, and there's one point where you have to yell into the mic to wake somebody up in the game. And I was at work when I was playing this. I couldn't do it. I actually had to run down to my car so that I could yell at this old man to wake him up in the game <laughs> and then run back up to my desk and continue playing. So that that's interesting. My, my favorite joke in a DS game was in Phantom Hourglass where you're... You're asked to yell something loud in the mic. And I was playing this in the middle of the night. You know, I've got neighbors, I have a roommate and everything. So I didn't want to do it. So I went to the bathroom, closed the door, and kind of whispered into the mic, you know, whatever I was supposed to yell, like, yay or something. And then I came back, and then you go outside, and you, you talk to the, this kid, and he goes, you didn't actually, you could have just blown into the mic, and it had the same effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, when I was playing Phantom Hourglass, I was playing it mostly on the tube, and I remember there's one point where you actually it asks you to blow, I think, into the mic. I can't remember what reason this. And uh, so I was trying to surreptitiously do that as a cough. So it's a kind of coughing oh, with the DS. Okay. Like, <coughs> so <laughs> which didn't really I, work. <laughs> I, I did used to. The, the, you can get away with the blowing all the time on the train, to be honest. I mean, uh, I've just been playing Ninja Town recently, which has a lot of the uh, um, special moves in that require you to blow on the mic, and you can do that fairly discreetly, actually, because you to blow that hard just a general a gentle puff is normally enough there, there are some DS games you just can't play on the go um, like uh, Elite Beat Agents or Trauma Center those ones are just impossible obviously when you're playing in the motion of a train and I'm just as much as they're my favourite games I put them down quite quickly because I couldn't take them on my travels and I feel like sometimes developers don't think about the fact that sometimes you need to play these games on the go well it's a good example the DSi one of the download games is this WarioWare game and you actually have to play that, placing it, because it uses the camera to recognise your motions, you have to play it, placing it down on a table, and you've got the old eye toy syndrome of having to get the light levels right and everything for it to recognise your movement. So I think uh, you'll probably find the DSi starting to become, you know, some of the games being completely unplayable on the go if they're using the camera. I'd like to see that on the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it also depends uh, on what you mean by on the go. Like, in transit, on a bumpy road, maybe not, but if you're killing time, you know, like I mentioned there's a college student between classes or Zan said, you know, being on the road and going to a hotel room, so there are also stable positions too, so it it all just kind of depends on your your unique situation in life Yeah, the, I still feel that stigma of when I'm playing Trauma Center, say in a cafe, and I'm scribbling furiously as I try to you know, <laughs> like, get this patient's heart started it just looks stupid <laughs> That's true Yeah, I mean, where I play my DS most is, uh when my girlfriend's shopping and I'm sitting in a bench in the mall waiting for her to get done in the store. <laughs> so that absolutely fits into me perfectly because I too have been playing Trauma Center recently and I've been furiously scratching at the DS while these people have just been staring at me as I'm sitting <laughs> on this bench by myself in the middle of a mall as my girlfriend shops away. Um, but yeah, that's... you have the girlfriend that you can point to her. <laughs> I'm with her. <laughs> yes, and she ignores me while shopping. That's not really going to work. That's the beauty of the iPhone, you see, because I was with my wife yesterday and she was went into a clothes shop and I thought, right, okay, iPhone comes out, I'll do a little bit of uh, flight control. You know, so, you know, you can see now, you start seeing now where some of the real benefits of the iPhone are. But have any, have any of you guys had this experience with not, I was playing Mario Kart on a bus and I actually bumped into two people with DSs and started playing Mario Kart with them? Which I, that's when I think of like handheld gaming has its 
magic that Norda um, reproduce. Yeah, that uh, happened to me last uh, week, actually. Um, I was in the mall playing Trauma Center, as I said, and a little kid came over to me and looked at my screen. I think he was looking to see if I had Pokemon, because that came out last weekend, and I guess you could trade. I'm not really sure I never played. But um, I, he came up to me, he looked, and then he said, nah, and he walked away. And then another kid, not even five minutes later, like the same age, walked up to me and said, do you have Pokemon? And I said, no. And he walked away sad. So um, that's a phenomenon that's been getting increasingly popular lately. I, I, that's really cool. Yeah, that happened to me the first week that I bought my DS. I was on a bus playing Mario Kart, and some kid tapped me on the shoulder, and it's like, hey, want to race? And we did. <laughs> <laughs> I, cool. it, it's kind of sad that the Picta chat never took off because that would be a blast with strangers if you're just like in a in a room and you just dial into Picto chat and you just harass people from the secrecy of your DS. Unfortunately, that really never took off around here. I'm not sure if anyone has ever played that with anyone else. You I can't can get into it from while you're playing a game, right? You can only do no, that when no, you're first. No. So, yeah. Some some I games, yeah, some games support it. Um, Animal Crossing, for example, had Picto, Picto chat support, but no, there's not many. Um, I mean, I, again, with the misses on the train, sometimes I said, you know, I'll send her a message saying, "Look at that strange person behind you," or something like that. But <laughs> other, than, other than that, no, not really. It's a shame. And the DSOS is exactly the same. Unfortunately, they haven't updated Picto Chat, which is a shame. Um, I wanted to go into one other thing before we move on uh, about the DS's library and specifically. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of the games we've been talking about are the the weird, quirky little games that play the best on the DS, and you can only really get that type of thing, like uh, Professor Layton, The World Ends with You and crosswords and stuff like that. Um, what do you guys think about the rest of the DS library? Uh, there's been a lot of... I mean, I know there's been a lot of ports and stuff. Like, I remember there was a Splinter Cell game on the, the DS for some reason a couple of years ago. But, like, what do you think about the specifically the shovelware quotient that's been popping up on the DS? I mean, there's pretty much just as much shovelware on the DS as there has been on the PSP and the Wii. Yet, it's not so much a big deal when people talk about the DS. I wonder what you guys what you guys take on why the Wii has been getting slammed repeatedly for the shovelware that they have while the DS skates through with their 15,000 Imagine Babies titles that they have and pets and dogs. Uh, no one really brings those up. I wonder what you guys thought about that. Uh, there are more great games on the DS, even with all the shovelware, you can just ignore it. And there's still plenty of you know great games. You know, every month there's you know, at least a couple that... They look interesting. Admittedly, I haven't used it that much in the last year, but maybe that's just me and the genres that I like have been kind of ignored. And the Wii, I bought like two Wii games last year. It was pathetic. And I still like the Wii. has great games, but not very many. Yeah, I would... Uh, I've noticed, again, a kind of interesting thing that sometimes happens. Uh, I know you guys have got uh, GameStop, and I, I often hear on podcasts how they have terrible employees, but over here, the, the, the guys that work in um, uh, Game and Game Station, which are kind of leading two high street stores, are actually pretty clued up on, on, on games. And they tend to provide better advice on the DS than they do the Wii, because a lot of them own DSs but don't own Wiis. And I've noticed that a few times now where I've been sort of listening into the conversation that's going on with some woman who's trying to buy something for her daughter and one of the employees will say, oh, no, no, you don't want to get that. Professor Layton's a much better game to get, or something like that. Whereas... With the Wii games, I really don't think they know enough about the titles that are out on that console because they don't own it themselves. They're probably a 360 or a PS3 owner, you know. So I think the advice that people get tends to be slightly better on the DS. And um, and you're right, there, there are more, there are better games on the DS that tend to rise to the top easier. It's it's an interesting one though. I'd never really thought too much about it other than 
noticing it uh, a few weeks ago when I was in a, in a store. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting because I would say, argue that the shovelware on the DS is worse than for any other system. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. there are so many rubbish, rubbish games like that. I mean, I, I think it's what Zan's saying about the best rises to the top. You don't see the shovelware entering the charts, not as often as you do for the Wii in any case. You know, you're not gonna, you're not got games like Carnival Games doing what they're doing on the DS, whereas you've got the games which we as a community like on the DS, like Professor Layton, like Zelda, like Mario Kart, at the top of the charts. So I just wonder maybe if that's why the press is a bit uh, less lenient on the Wii. Um, yeah, well, another thing I think with it is that uh, the games on the DS are 20 or so bucks cheaper than they are on the Wii. So you got people paying $50 for Carnival games, which would be a ripoff at 10 bucks, but they're they're paying full price for it, and it's taking money away from buying games like Mario Galaxy and uh, No More Heroes and stuff like that. So I think maybe even the cheaper cost, it kind of lets it get away with a little bit more on the portable than it would get on a, on a, on a regular console. Right, I mean, in this country now, like it's it's quite rare to see DS games at full price now. Um, sure. sure. Like, well, Chrono Trigger's just come out a game, and it's at twenty pounds, which is oh. you know the retail price is thirty. That's a great game. So, yeah, I was a bit shocked yesterday when I paid thirty quid for Blue Dragon Plus. I think it's the first time I've paid full price for a DS game in about two years because normally they're discounted almost as immediately they hit the shelves. Is it any good? <laughs> I quite like it, but then I love the. I love Blue Dragon, so I, I would like it even if it was rubbish. I think it's probably mediocre, if I'm being honest, but I like it. <laughs> uh, the DS has a lot of really good third-party games, whereas the Wii, you know, all the best Wii games are... Not all the best, but almost all the best are you know, first-party Nintendo titles or, um, or ports of, you know, GameCube and PS2 games like Okami and Resident Evil 4. Whereas, you know, the DS, I'm thinking, you know, there's World Ends, World Ends With You by, you know, Square, Square Enix and, um, you know, Kojima had Lunar Nights and Professor Layton. And there's just so many games that aren't Nintendo. And I think that that's kind of, there's a lot more variety, I guess, in what you can get for it rather than, you know, the glut of mini game collections you get on the Wii. Right, we had a thread on, on TGR about the best DS game, and there was a lot of love for The World Ends With You and Professor Layton, which, like you rightly say, are two uh, games not from Nintendo's Level 5 and Square Enix. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it, maybe with the Wii, it's, not, it's the third-party uh, lack of really strong titles from third-party developers. But one thing I wanted to get into, and I want to go to Zan with this, because I know Zan has a couple of controversial statements regards to DS. <laughs> We've already said one, which is that the Professor Layton was your best game of 2008. Definitely. Which, uh, some people may not say it's controversial, but the press, I think, at large would. Um, and the other one is that the DS as a whole. So go on, tell, tell the world your controversial DS statement. I was on a podcast uh, a couple of years ago, um, Cranky Gamers UK, which is a fairly big one over here and I was on the Christmas show where they were doing the games of the year and they did the thing where they did console of the year and it went round to everyone and they all said Xbox 360, in fact they all said Xbox 360 actually and then it came to me and I said well you know the machine that sold the most is the DS the machine that's probably had two or three best games of the year was the DS Um, but for some reason when people think about the best games of the year or the best machine of the year or or, you know, when in these kind of end of year award ceremonies, they always overlook the handheld arena. Well, I, th- I think they do anyway. There are exceptions, but 
by by and large they do they tend to ignore it and i think that some things in professor layton are absolute genius and the you know okay the graphics are fairly simplistic but the art style on that game is is phenomenal you know that and and the fact that it weaves this story this, this kind of intricate story and a proper narrative into a puzzle game is just brilliant and it, it's not something that's been done a great deal before and you know so i i think it was 2007 when i, I said the ds was the console of that year um and i, I just think that I think that's what you're alluding to, Sinan, is the fact that the mainstream press tend to overlook handheld gaming and maybe just highlight a few of the really big um, kind of spectacular games. But there is so much good stuff going on that we all know about. We just don't seem to talk about it as much. And this podcast is probably an example of that. This is the first podcast I've heard for a long time dedicated to talking about the handheld market. Right, and that's certainly what I'm alluding to. I mean, I totally agree in the fact, it, it, just in terms of Game of the Year awards, I can't think of when I've ever seen it for a DS game. I don't know. What, why do you think, Jeffrey, the press tends to overlook handheld gaming when it comes to talking about the best games and the best systems? Uh, I think a lot of it, I hate to admit, but it comes down to graphics. People want a really, you know, to talk about a really flashy game. Uh, something like Metal Gear Solid or GTA 4, which made it have you know the best individual graphics, but it was this big sandbox world, which was you know amazing. I wasn't the biggest fan of the game, but just Liberty City was an astonishing feat. So I'll put it this way: I guess mainstream media is, or even you know other gaming sites that are less mainstream, are still focused less on innovation and more on um, spectacle, like you know, I was surprised when I see games like Gears of War winning Game of the Year. It was, it was a good game; I enjoyed it. It was, a, you know, great co-op experience. But people want something. I think that maybe what it is is that people want to express their love of a game that they feel like it couldn't have come out the previous year. Like this is something that's very current. It's very of the moment. You know, we couldn't have had a Fallout Three until today, whereas we could have had Professor Layton. You know, a few years ago when we just didn't, even though it's, you know, brilliant. I think a lot of people feel that way. I don't necessarily agree. But, yeah, I think a lot of people really look down on the handheld market like this secondary thing that really isn't as important. But, um, I mean, it really is. Just speaking personally, I know a lot of hardcore gamers, people that play, you know, four or five hours a day. As soon as they get home from work, they're going on their consoles. That won't even touch. Like, they, they don't have a DS. They don't have a PSP. They have no interest in either. Like, and it's just really strange. I mean, my friend Jay Winner, he plays everything. He loves uh, all types of games. He has a PSP. He plays it a lot. And I told him that The World Ends With You was, like, my third favorite game of last year. It was very, very high up on my list. And he looked at me like I had 13 heads. Like, like <laughs> I, I am an idiot for thinking that this handheld RPG, which could have been done on the Super Nintendo for the most part, uh, was one of the best games I played last year. Better than games like Years of War 2 and, and, and all those other things. And... I mean, yeah, it really was a great game that I loved dearly. And I think as long as... There are always going to be people out there who just don't care about the handheld market because it's not, as Jeff said, not technologically superior to what they play on their consoles. It doesn't offer the console-type experience that a lot of people want. But if they just... You know, if a lot of people just opened their eyes and saw what these consoles had, these portable consoles, they'd be blown away by some of the originality that they could get on these things. I mean, we talk about... Professor Layton, and that game, you know, does everything within the mandate of its console. It has, I know, Zan said that its graphics aren't that impressive necessarily, but the animations were so impressive in terms of what the console can do. And I would say, 
in terms of the limitations of the DS, it does everything close to perfection for that system. I, I cannot, the same as Anne, cannot believe the strength of the narrative. I know, Jeffrey, you've told me the same. Do you think it's the casual association has a has part to play of it as well? Like just because it's a universal game, as a casual game, that it's looked down upon. No, I, I don't agree with that actually. Um, I, in many, in, I think actually attitudes are changing. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watch uh, Co-op, you know the the video podcast that the uh, former One Up guys do, but they I did do. a piece. I don't know if you guys saw it last week, where they did a piece on the indie game scene, the IGF. Yeah. I yes. think attitudes are changing. Um, I mean, you see some of the stuff that they had there, which is very original, and you could still say it was casual. I mean, um, one in particular was the game where the, everything was white and you threw, like, uh, paintballs and it revealed the landscape. I mean, that's, that, you know, that really has a casual game. I mean, there's, there's not really that much to it. And I think a lot of these more casual, bite-sized, simple games that are just that much more enjoyable are starting to become much more mainstream in terms of media coverage. So I do think that we are seeing a slow transition that, you know, more casual games are being considered um, uh, in terms of awards and stuff. I mean, again, a good example is, uh, although I didn't agree with it, because I actually think it's the most overrated game of all time, but Wii Sports won <laughs> loads of BAFTAs when we had the, the BAFTAs uh, about 18 months ago, and it cleaned up. It won about six awards, including best sports game and best simulation I found that insulting to be honest um, but I think there is there is much more acceptance now and I'm hopeful that um, with things like the, you know maybe the route the DSi takes that some of these handheld games will have more um, and with the iPhone in particular that handheld gaming will have much more prevalence at the end of this year when we when, when the big media sites start talking about their games of the year I've got a good feeling at the moment that they will do because the iPhone the DSi, if there's a new PSP this year as well, this will be the year of handheld gaming in many ways. I think maybe that's why you, you've you got this podcast. Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, you, like we said at the beginning of the show, the numbers are just ridiculous for handheld gaming. It, it makes the home console numbers look tiny in comparison. If you consider um, Wii plus PS3 plus 360 to DS plus PSP plus iPhone, that's not a contest at the moment. It's just not. Um, one question then, just to, to close on this idea of the press's relationship with handheld gaming, uh, which I, I don't know if it's an interesting hypothesis or not. If Braid came out on the DS or PSP, do you think it would have picked up as much coverage and praise as it did when it came on, out on XBLA? Because, you know, Braid was one of the most talked about games of last year. Do you think if it came out on either DS, PSP or an iPhone, would we have, would we have been talking about it as much? all no no i uh, i'll say real quick that i think that the press would have given it a bit of a push when it came out but i think within a week it would have been completely out of the press it would have been out of people's minds and that would have been the end of it uh yeah it's a tough question i had to think about it for a moment but i believe i concur with joe there that it, you know people would have loved it but it kind of would have disappeared after that how about you Zan? um again i think the more enlightened press i Include yourselves in this, of course. Um, would have, <laughs> would have, would would be talking about it a lot. Um, but I think the the likes of IGN and and uh, possibly Gamespot would probably talk about it for a week and then drop it as soon as the next big thing came along. It's interesting that you do talk about the split in the media, and it is starting to show itself. And I, I guess we could probably go into a whole podcast talking about you know the, the new games journalism, which is kind of infecting itself into some of the major outlets, but that would 
make this show four or five hours long if we included it. So um, let's probably close on to our final kind of topic of discussion, which is really the future of handheld consoles. And one of the things I wanted to bring up was something we kind of talked about the PSP with its graphics. Because at some point, the home consoles are going to reach uh, a point of standstill with graphics. It's not going to be able to improve any point. And obviously at some stage, the handheld consoles are going to catch up and we'll have this standstill with graphics for everything. When we get to that stage, what what's going to stop handheld gaming just being able to produce the same experience we can get on a home console, but you know, on a handheld? What's gonna what's gonna separate home consoles from handheld consoles, apart from the obvious? <laughs> and I'll I'll go with Jeffrey with that one. Uh, I think that there is quite a few differences just in game design. I mean, if you're playing something something on the go, you need lots of save points and you know, that's good for some games, and for other games, it could come at their detriment. I'm thinking, particularly like a survival horror game. Um, again, I haven't, you know, played the, the Silent Hill or Resident Evil on the, the PSP and DS, but, you know, I've, I've heard they're not as good, they're not as scary. Maybe they would be if they were on a big screen, but just, it's not something that you could really replicate um, when you're on the go. Uh, I suppose you could maybe make it scarier if you went down in a dark, dingy basement and played them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't honestly see the graphics catching up. I know it's uh, kind of uh, easy to say that, but um, you've got the basically you've got the limitations of the hardware and the fact that the more you increase the graphics, the more heat and uh, battery problems you're going to have. I mean, you only have to look at some of the big boy consoles like the Xbox 360 and the problems that's had with reliability because it's pushing the envelope as far as uh, the graphics in a consumer product. I really don't see handheld devices really progressing much further than they are now for the time being because you know if you take the two that have got the most graphical finesse they have real issues with battery life and there are there are limited limit you know there are real limits to what you can do with batteries you know there is only so much power you can get out of a battery um how refined you can make a battery we're already using lithium batteries which are about the most uh you know sort of efficient you can make um and uh, and, and the devices we've got are struggling so um, personally, I, I don't see it changing a great deal. That's a very interesting point, which I, I must have hadn't considered. Well, I think even if they did push the console, the portable consoles further, and they were able to get, you know, Halo 3 or Gears of War onto a portable console looking as good as it does on the Xbox, I think we would just be stuck in the same position that the PSP has been in right now, where it's putting these console games on the portable systems that look really good, but, you know, they're not really what a lot of portable gamers want to play. I think the more that they push the technology is the more that they're going to try and hand, you know, shove these console games into the portable market that they really don't belong in. And so, I mean, really, uh, the DS has proven that it does not need great technology or the most advanced 3D, you know, uh, power to render a, an amazing gaming experience. And I think that's the real way that, that developers should be thinking for the future of the portable market and more on um, design than on uh, power. Hmm. Um, on the subject of home consoles then what about the compatibility with things like the PS3 for the PSP, do you think that is a future worth exploring or is that you know, pretty much we've decided it's a failed premise that no one's really interested in um, actually it's one of the things that really winds me up whenever I you know, read yet another update that enables some other useless 
integration between the two consoles. It, I just think to myself, why are they investing all this time and effort in something which it's it's appealing to such a small niche? You know, I'd, it just seems crazy to me that that they've you know they the um I mean Nintendo have been trying it for years. I mean they had GameCube GBA connectivity, didn't they? And before that, I think there wasn't there limited N64 Game Boy connectivity. I can't remember now. Um, you know they've they've kept trying it and. I don't think it's ever really worked, and I, I, I think they are two different mediums, if you like. The the handheld market is a different market. It's, it's as you said, it's designed for more bite-sized gaming, maybe some multimedia functionality. If you want to, you know, I don't know, play with photos or, 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 or um, download a movie to it. But I really don't see the point in linking the two things up, other than maybe just to share uh, data. But I mean, again, oh. with this, you have to be sitting in your house playing with the PSP or the DS to really take advantage of this stuff. And yeah. it's 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 such a like that's not really where you want to play with these things. It's such a small a small you know percentage of people that would actually be taking advantage of this stuff. I think really that uh, it's, the only really way that you can do that, I think, is what Dreamcast did with the VMU, where the little screen on the controller gave you your stats in the game or gave you a map that you could use, like, that kind of usage would kind of be cool, where it, it just kind of assists your... I think GameCube did a, that a little bit with their GBA connectivity, where you could pull up a map in Metroid on your on your GBA or something along those lines. I think that kind of stuff would be cool, and, like, Sony originally said you could use uh, the PSP as, uh, like, a HUD in some games. They never implemented it, but it was one of their old ideas. Um, I, that kind of usage is okay, but where they're doing resistance, where you could play the game with your PS3 controller if you link the two of them up, and you could infect your PSP with the virus from Resistance 2 on the PS3 to change your character in the PSP version, I think that's just insanity. So, just to close on, because I think we're, we're may have overrun by, you know, just about an hour. So, um, <laughs> uh, let's let's go around the room or the the pod, pod panel. <laughs> the pod, yeah, the pod, <laughs> the room. Um, so let's go around the pod and find out our own kind of views of where the future of handheld gaming lies. Jeffrey, where do you see handheld gaming in five, ten years? Um, I see a lot more people on on buses with iPhones and DSs. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that now. I think it's just gonna to grow there, and I think that Game of the Year awards are still gonna be talking about consoles, and people are still gonna be complaining when they announce a new Zelda that it's not for a console, even though it looks great. So, um. Does that answer it? Or <laughs> <laughs> it does. Okay. How about you, Zan? Where where do you see handheld gaming in five ten years? Um, yeah, I I think the in many ways the iPhone I think is showing, giving us a glimpse of the future. I think and, and one that the DSi and the PSP are trying to follow. I, I see the future of handheld be, game being very immediate and uh, being governed by, in many ways, uh, volume of and availability of games so um, particularly as we start to see certainly if you live in a metropolitan area we're going to start seeing increases in things like WiMAX and uh, wide area Wi-Fi which makes it's going to change the landscape for these handheld games in many ways I, I think you, we're going to more likely to, to see some of the kind of multiplayer experiences that we have with the Xbox 360 and the PS3 but on handhelds you know, where you can basically be sat in a hotel room playing someone in a lounge somewhere else in the in the world quite easily and inexpensively. Yeah, I think that uh, the future of the handheld is definitely going to be a lot of online. A lot, I think, for the most part, downloadable games is the future. I think that's where Nintendo's next console is going to get 
the primary source of the gaming. I think they'll still sell cartridges maybe in Walmart for the people that don't really have that uh, option. But I think it's going to be all online. It's going to be very casual focused. And I think, uh, again, it's going to be down to Apple and Nintendo as far as the future of uh, handheld gaming goes. Well, to kind of expand on what Zan and um, Joe have been saying, I'll leave a little link in the show notes to an interview I read on Exeunt uh, with a, sorry, with Exeunt, two of the directors of that company. Uh, it was at Tech Radar, so apologies about the mistake there. But um, they were talking about the future of on, um, handheld gaming, and they were talking a lot about online uh, gaming. And I think uh, with a bit of focus on things like G GRPS and uh, maybe MMOs and things like that. So, gosh, no, you know, it, it could be anything in five or ten years. We could be talking about people playing World of Warcraft on their DSs, which would be, well, DS, I don't know, fours or something. So, <laughs> um, it would be fascinating to find out. And in any case, I think, uh, I hope that, like Zan said, by doing this podcast, we've kind of highlighted handheld gaming a bit more. And one of the things I just mentioned there, World of Warcraft, we'll be talking about next week. So, uh, look forward to that. Before we go... Uh, and, and leave you guys in peace uh, let me go to Jeffrey and Zan and see if they want to give any plugs and shout outs so Jeffrey any plugs and shout outs for this week uh, sure so you can go to my, my blog at mrdurandpierre.blogspot.com uh, it's all one word m-r-d-u-r-a-n-d-p-i-e-r-r-e -R -R um, I also write at thegamereviews.com with Sinan and Joe um, can I give a, a shout out for a site that I'm not affiliated with of course. Sure. So ever since you had uh, Michael Abbott on the other day, I checked out Brainy Gamer, and I've been hopelessly addicted to that site and trying to catch up on it, listen to all the podcasts. It's a wonderful site. You all should go there. And that's at brainygamer.com. Sorry, how about you, Sam? Um, yeah, no, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great podcaster. He's a great writer as well. I, I'm a big fan of that site as well. Um, uh, just you guys, really. I, I have to say I've really enjoyed uh, recording this podcast. It's a topic that's been close to my heart, and I really appreciate uh, Sinan inviting me on here. So, yeah, I, I really do appreciate that, and I, I hope people enjoy it uh, as much as I have. Um, in terms of plugs, um, I'll plug the uh, Ninja Fat Pigeons. They're obviously my community um, who I'm a member of. Uh, so that's ninjafatpigeons.co.uk. Uh, a load of us are meeting up next week in Manchester, so that should be good. That uh, should be a lot of fun. Um, as for the blogs, well, I have a blog, but to be honest with you, I'm so addicted to Twitter that I very rarely update it. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Zantiriad, so that's X-A-N-T-I-R-I-A-D. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your kind comments, Zan. And um, we've, we love having you on the show, both you and Jeffrey. It's fantastic to have you both back. Uh, and I do think it's been a really good show. It's probably going to be our longest show by some stretch. Yes. So, uh, Yes, Joe, let's be brief of our closing thoughts. Uh, never shake a carton of orange juice unless the top is firmly screwed on, which I found out during the break. I've done this multiple times, did it again, orange juice all over the kitchen, which I now have to clean up. So just a tip for everyone out there.